Welcome to the One and O podcast hosted by Joe Cook and Brad Kellner. We are part of the Everyone Gets a Trophy podcast channel. And today, we're going to talk a lot of football. Texas and Alabama have a TV partner, at least scheduled. What that means for what time the game may actually kick off, as well as just a bigger look at some of the other television announcements. Texas is in pursuit of Pitt wide receiver transfer Jordan Addison. Seems like USC and Alabama are in contention, what Addison would mean for Texas. Also, Arch Manning had some recent comments to on three about his recruitment, where the number one overall prospect in 2023 is at his in his process, and also Texas just in the transfer portal. So be sure you listen to our show and everyone gets a trophy with Paul Wadlington and whoever he brings on at this stage, usually Kevin Dunn. Subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcast. And uh, Brad, what you been up to other than uh, Vegas in the draft? It's been a lot of Texans and in, in offseason looking at the regular season schedule, but uh, what you been keeping up with as far as Longhorn them? Yeah, Vegas for the draft was a lot of fun. Unfortunately, no Texas Longhorns heard their name called over the three days of the NFL draft this year, uh, a trend that has become far too often occurring uh, with the Texas football program over the last decade or so. So hopefully that goes away next year. It should definitely go away next year, and we should hear a, a number of Longhorns called in the 2023 NFL draft. But yeah, it's been interesting to watch what Steve Sarkeesian has done through the portal. Uh, obviously the rumors surrounding Jordan Addison, you know, a couple of months ago, we talked about Jordan Addison potentially coming to Texas. Once the Longhorns got Brennan Marion as a wide receivers coach, we felt like, all right, maybe there's a natural fit there because Marion coached Addison at Pitt and Hey, Marion's making the leap from Pitt to Texas. Maybe Jordan Addison could do the same, but at the time, Jordan Addison said he's not leaving. He's going to stay at Pittsburgh. And then NIL continues to do what NIL does. So he's changing his mind, perhaps. So uh, I've been following that story as well. And obviously Arch Manning, too. So never a dull moment covering this team, Joe. You know that better than I do. Even though we're in the midst of the offseason, uh, still plenty of uh, Longhorn happenings to talk about. Yeah, so we'll, we'll get to Addison in a second. We can talk about what news came out yesterday. And that's, uh, you know, it's an even year. Texas is a Big 12 team, and that means that uh, Fox and its family networks gets the first choice as far as what games they want to cover. Um, so usually it's either a big Texas non-conference game, a big Oklahoma non-conference game, or just Texas versus Oklahoma. Uh, well, Texas has a big non-conference game this year, an even year, and it's uh, hosting Alabama. And so yesterday it was announced that Fox made their choice. They're going to be in Austin on September 10th for when the Crimson Tide come to Texas. Uh, Joel Klatt tweeted out that his crew will be there. So that means Gus, Joel, Jenny Taft. Here's the other thing. Knowing what Fox does, it probably means an 11 a.m. kick. Mm. And while ratings don't tend to suffer, as a result of 11 a.m. kicks, I put a story on Inside Texas that shows that they do well. They can be the highest game rated game of the week or a top two rated game. Although last year, all the highest rated big noon kickoff games uh, or all the highest rated games that were also big noon kickoff were all big 10 games. But Fox is committed to the bit. And even though people would want to see this in prime time, especially the 100,000 that are probably going to try and make this game, I bet it's going to be an 11 a.m. kick. 
Yeah, and that sucks for a number of reasons. Number one, it's going to be hot as hell. I mean, it's early September in Austin, Texas. It's going to be 90 to 100 degrees up there, and and people are going to be tailgating. They're going to be partying early. early. They might be partying after the game as well. That's going to be a long day and a lot of time spent in the sun. So that sucks for the fans. That obviously will take a toll on the players on both sides as well. And yeah, you just, you just want the primetime game, man. I, I'm a big fan of primetime games. I think all of the best college football games should be played at night, but Fox is committed to the bit, like you said, and the results have been pretty good for them. Uh, I feel like way more often than not, uh, the big noon kickoff has brought them the results that they want. So it does feel to use your verbiage, like they are committed to the bit. And that's probably where this thing is headed. And uh, look, people are going to go to this game regardless. Like I, I know some 11 a.m. kicks in Austin, and it's not just an Austin thing. Some 11 a.m. kicks across the country have uh, generated subpar crowds. That's not going to be the case for a game like this. So I'm not too worried about a late arriving crowd or uh, a weaker crowd for an 11 a.m. kick because this matchup is too highly anticipated to uh, to bring something like that. But the heat is obviously going to be a factor in just not being able to prepare yourself and brace yourself and lube yourself up for uh, for a night kick against Alabama, who's probably going to be the number one team in the country when they come to town. All a little bit disappointing. Yeah, I wonder if uh, ESPN will do the the double. Um, sometimes they do games that they're not carrying, whether it be you know a, a big SEC game or maybe a Notre Dame game. They're not afraid to do uh, a game they're not putting on the airwaves. I wonder if they'll be in contention with the big noon kickoff folks because I think they send their their pregame crew with Stoops, Quinn, Reggie, Liner, that crew to wherever they do big noon kickoff at. I wonder if they'll double down uh that'd be that'd be wild part of this has me think i'm gonna be having to wake up at about 6 30 a.m and get into the game as early as possible just to avoid every piece of traffic that could be going on do we we want that joe i mean you're right big noon kickoff like the fox pregame crew is going to be there because they're always at the games that they broadcast from but would we want college game day there as well? Like, do we want as much attention on this game as possible? Cause I don't feel great about this game at all. Like I, I think this is going to be an Alabama beatdown. So do we want the eyes of the entire world descending upon Austin for what could be a bloodbath? You may not have much of a choice. I think the only other games that weekend that seem to be contenders for, I guess, game day, uh, you got Iowa, Iowa state, which is intriguing, maybe not as much as in recent years, but still intriguing. Um, And you've got Kentucky and Florida, which could be a pretty darn interesting game. Um, Other than that, there's, there's not a lot of compelling games on. You're right. I'm looking at the schedule right now for week two and there's not a lot there. I mean, USC Stanford, but Stanford's been terrible the last few years. I mean, maybe the Lincoln Riley impact could get that game on college game day, but yeah, I mean, in terms of brand power, uh, there's nothing even close to Texas Bama uh, during that second week of the year. Yeah. And if you, you remember when they did like Williams at Amherst, I forget what year that was, but it was like two D three schools. Oh God. They did that. And it, I mean, it, it, that was pretty neat. It was, I don't think modern, the modern iteration of college game day will ever do anything like that again. I wonder if there's a cool FCS rivalry, if North Dakota state's got something big, but then that means you're choosing, even though it's on Fox, choosing North Dakota State over Bama. Plus, the other thing is, Kirk can get in the company plane and, and go elsewhere. Uh, yeah. Fowler, Fowler can too. So they can they can pull the double, and the, uh, the, the plane from Des Moines, from Austin to Des Moines is ESPN can get a direct flight there. So they could do that. It, it may be a double. So um, the one thing I'm really 
not worried about, but the one thing I want to know that Chris Del Conte can fix, and maybe that's for an 11 a.m. kick in, in September, this might be asking too much. But with Alabama coming to town, with the Goodyear blimp likely being in attendance, I hope they figure out a way to tell people, hey, I know you pay for the AC. I know it's nice in that USCU ground-level club, but please get in your seats so that when they show overhead shots, it's there aren't empty seats for when yeah. Alabama is in town. Oh, man, I didn't even think about that. Can we uh, make sure the air conditioning in the Alabama locker room is not functional? when the Crimson Tide come to town. I don't think that was ever true with LSU, but uh, we need every advantage we can get uh, against this Bama team. So if, uh, if CDC could find a way to pull that one off, I'm on board. I'm hey, in favor of a little gamesmanship for these guys. It's hot in Alabama too. So maybe not as hot as in Austin, but uh, the other game, or not even tel- not even game time, but television partner that was announced uh, because Fox chose Texas-Alabama – ESPN jumped all over the Red River shootout. Uh, so that'll be an ABC game. Time wasn't announced. Uh, but that's – I think everybody's smart enough to know, don't put that game at night. Mm, um, I come don't, on. I, one time. Put it at night one time. Hey, if you want to walk around – I leave the game, let's see. Night game, I'm typically walking out of there around 1130. Uh, would you like to walk around Fair Park with me at 1130? <laughs> Yeah, as long as we're together, it's fine. Just walk hey, in groups. The, the only time I've ever seen somebody on PCP was outside the fair park, and that was in broad daylight. So You only saw one person on PCP outside of fair yeah. park? Yeah, yeah. It was, it was yeah, not, it, not an experience I want to uh, relive. So <laughs> Now, okay, you remember 2017, they did the 230 game. What did mm-hmm. you think about that? I was fine with it. I was cool with it. And look, a big part of the reason why I want the game moved later to the day is that I can go out in Dallas on Friday and have a good time and not have to wake up at the crack of dawn and keep drinking uh, the next day. Uh, it's just a lot. It's a wear and tear. And the older I get, people are shaking their heads laughing because I'm still in my 20s. But the older I get, the more it hurts. All right. You people were right. Drinking doesn't come as easy once you're done with college as it did when you were in college. So I, I preferred the 2.30 middle of the game slate. But Prime time is what I want, man. It's never going to happen for safety reasons. You brought it up, and I feel like everybody who's been walking around Fair Park at night at any time in their life has a story relatively similar to yours. Hell, yours might be more tame than some of the other stories that people have, but I've always wanted to see that game under the lights at the Cotton Bowl. I think it would be spectacular, but my guess is it'll it'll be 11, and maybe if we're lucky, I say that with air quotes, 2.30. Yeah. Yeah. I think the only way it, uh, it ever goes tonight is if it's moved to Jerry world and it's at least not happening until 2025. I think I looked up, uh, hopefully Wikipedia is a good source here, but uh, it said that game's going to be in the cotton bowl till 2025. And with as much money that I think the fair park city of Dallas, and even uh, you know, both schools have put into the cotton bowl, there's ways to, you know, keep it there. The people want it there. It, it, it's better there, uh, but we'll, we'll see who wins out in the end. And it's, yeah. it's usually the dollar. So a yeah. uh, couple, couple time slots known for, or not even time slots, uh, just television partners known now. Um, maybe there's a chance that one of Texas top targets in the portal and Pitt 
uh, wide receiver transfer uh, Jordan Addison could be uh, on Texas at, during either of those games, could be on Alabama during the Alabama game. Um, this is something that I think a lot of people, when Justin and I talked about this, nobody really recognized that May 1st was going to be as big a deal, as big a deadline as it was. Uh, a bunch of states started NIL last summer. Uh, the one-time exception went into effect, I think, what, last summer or, or right before. And I don't think individually, and this is a point that's been made by a host of people, uh, individually, there's nothing wrong with the one-time transfer rule. There's nothing wrong with NIL. But then you start to add the idea that, like, hey, basically, you know, come get a bigger contract here. Yeah. Like, that that was something that um, I'm kind of disappointed in myself that I didn't really think about. Um, and I'm, you know, that's just me as someone who covers a sport. I'm even more disappointed that the NCAA, but not surprised that the NCAA and conferences and anybody involved didn't think that, oh, you know, all these, you know, someone who went to Pitt, who just won the ACC, who just won a major uh, bowl game, I think, uh, they're going to try and get that player by, I mean, look, tampering uh, and, you know, or just any, anything of the sort to where they're going to try to go to greener pastures, uh, greener pastures. Yeah. So, I mean, Texas is in pursuit, not saying any of these, not alleging any of these schools tampered Texas, Alabama, or USC. Uh, but that seems to be where uh, Texas, or that seems to be the three schools that Addison is focusing on uh, has visited Texas has visited USC, potentially a visit to Alabama, potentially a, uh, a decision pretty soon. What's your take on the whole situation? And then also what Jordan Addison himself would add to the Texas offense? Well, NIL isn't all bad because it caused Mark Emmert to step down as the president of the NCAA. So it, it at least gave us that good thing, something that college sports has needed for a number of years. But uh, Pandora's box has been open, man. It's like you spilled paint and you're trying to get it back in the bucket. There's no chance you're going to get all that paint back in the bucket. This thing is done. So tampering's going on. Uh, we've heard lots of reports from USC and Lincoln Riley doing some tampering. Now, I'm not going to throw too many stones because my house might be made of glass. And Austin, like Texas, could be playing the game. And look, this, this is something that we talked about. And when I was doing radio up there in Austin, I talked about it too. This is going to be a separator, another separator. There are already plenty of things that separate the big dogs from the little guys in college sports. Well, NIL, all of the resources that big universities have, you know, they're going to take advantage of this as much as they possibly can. So it's not that surprising that this has almost turned into a, a, a big schlong contest. And hey, here's what we have to offer. Here's what we can do. Your school can't do this, but we could do this. Like, I figured this would be another separator for college sports. And look, if you're a Texas fan, it's a good thing. Like, okay, maybe the, the fairness, like your morals are like, ah, eh, this is probably not good for college sports and the future of this thing. But eh, if you're a fan of a team like the University of Texas, this should benefit you more than it benefits just about everybody else. So no real surprise that this thing is happening. There's a part of me that wished Texas was playing the game a little bit more. I mean, I've said that for years, even before NIL came around and this sort of became legal, like it felt like Texas had more of an opportunity to flex its muscles a little bit than it actually has. Now with NIL, technically, legally, they could find a workaround to uh, really separate themselves and get some of these players from smaller schools like Pitt. You're ridiculous saying that because Pitt's a major conference school that's coming off a really good year, like you said, and they just had a first round pick in the NFL draft. 
But this is like, this is another one of those separators and something Texas should take advantage of. So if it gives you the opportunity to bring in a program changing type of player like Jordan Addison, then I, I can't complain too much as a fan. Yeah, I, I'm with you. And one thing that I've kind of thought about over the, <clears throat> over the past month, two months, however long it's been, probably six months, I guess, is you're right. It, it is a separator, which leads me to think, do we think Quinn Ewers came to Texas purely just because of his childhood love of the Longhorns and Steve Sarkeesian's offense? Like, you know, let's be realistic here. Yeah. Uh, it, it, not that he's announced anything per se, but there's probably some NIL stuff going on there as well. So, I mean, Texas is in the thick of it. They're, they're trying to keep up in this current newfound landscape, but the newfound landscape isn't going to work. And if you're Texas, you can't, lose your players. I don't know if you were following along uh, a couple weeks ago, but like there was some risk that guys like Jade Barron and Xavier Worthy were flirting with, you know, testing free agency for lack of a better term. Um, luckily, Texas was able to stave that off because Texas knows it, it, if you're Texas, you can't, you can't allow yourself to have what happened to you, what happened to Pitt uh, with, with, with your best player deciding to, you know, go, go elsewhere and, and find greener pastures. So uh, it's, it's just a, a crazy situation that I, like I said, I wish I'd been able to forecast a little bit better. And I, I wish that everybody involved would be able to, um, but I don't know. I guess the one thing that you can do is remember the, the one year transfer rule was, was made in large part because of COVID. Well, most of the country is, you know, for most of the country is moving past COVID. Uh, it's it, in, I think, you know, not to belabor that issue. So why not go ahead and get rid of what was a COVID measure, especially when you're going to combine it with state by state passing different NIL rules? Uh, I think that needs to be in. Uh, there are state laws that always, you know, this can't be an inducement. Well, yeah, I mean, the, the Texas one says that, but, like, are we that naive, like, that they aren't going to be inducements? Tennessee, wink, wink, probably has a, a quarterback commit in Nico Amaliva uh, that got an NIL deal, and they wrote into the contract, this is not an inducement, but it, come on, let, yeah. let's be smart. I, I just think that there was not enough foresight. Uh, one of my favorite people, you know, I think if you've listened to him too, Josh Pate said, the people who kept squeezing the tube are now wondering why they can't put the toothpaste back in the tube. Yeah. And uh, it, it's, it's sad that we're here, but you know, now, now that we're here, Texas has to adapt to it. And so far they've put themselves in, in good positions on, on both ends of the spectrum and keeping players out of the portal and being aggressive in the portal uh, to where they're, they're doing as best they can at this yeah. juncture. Yeah, like the NCAA screwed this thing up, right? I mean, they just they didn't want to deal with this, so they didn't levy any sort of rules or regulations on NIL, and that's why this is all happening. And, and schools realize that we can pretty much get away with whatever we want. No one's going to do anything about this. So, yeah, I mean, we, we, we've gone zero to 100 really, really quick with NIL, and there's a way, I think, to rein this thing in a little bit, but I don't think it's ever going to be controlled the way that uh, a lot of people envisioned it being controlled when they had this idea in the first place. And look, it's like, 
I don't have morals. Okay. I, I just don't, I don't consider myself a good person. Right. So I don't feel bad for saying this. Some people might be like, dude, come on. Like you're, you're in the media. You're supposed to like do what's best for the sport or think about what's best for the sport. Like the fan perspective is coming out right now. And Texas isn't at a point where they cannot do this stuff. It's not just because like Texas is the brand. It's because Texas has been awful for the last 12 years. Like they're already getting lapped. They cannot be like moral compass, high horse. Oh, we're not touching any of this. Cause if they do that, this 12 years of mediocrity is going to turn into 15, 20, 25 years of mediocrity. So they have to play the game because all of the good teams are doing this right now. So it's like Texas doesn't have a choice if they want to turn the program around. And Joe, you and I know we, we went to the school. We've covered the school for a long time. Texas doesn't like to play the game like some of the SEC schools do and like some of the other big time blue blood programs. They want to do things relatively clean when you compare it to Alabama and LSU and some of those other spots. They don't have that luxury anymore. Like if they want to get back to being what Texas football needs to be, they're going to have to start playing the game a little bit more and doing stuff like what Lincoln Riley's doing at USC and what some SEC schools have been doing for years. They don't have a choice because their program has been so bad over the years and it feels like they've already been passed up. They can't get even more passed up by other schools by not doing this stuff. So they, it's like you throw morals out the window. If you want to be a big time college football program now, whether it's right or wrong to me, that's just the way it is. Yeah. And I think you've seen some evidence of Texas, maybe not going all out like that, but you know, they, they have pretty much remade the roster uh, or a lot of a significant chunk of the roster. Man, they they just lost percent. an NIL deal to Nebraska. And I know Nebraska is like, that's a former blue blood program and whatever, but like that, that to me, like that, that can't happen. Like if they're really playing the game, the level they need to play the game, I'm sorry to cut you off, but like if they're really doing what I think they need to do to get things figured out, they can't be losing to Nebraska with stuff like that. Well, I'll, I'll push back on that because, like I said, Quinn Ewers is on this roster. Jaleel Billingsley is on this roster. You think they came here purely out of the kindness of their own heart? Uh, yeah, familiarity, all that different stuff. But, yes, I don't think there is – I think all things were equal uh, in, in the NIL thing with Nebraska and O'Shawn Mathis and in Texas. I don't think Texas was going to get outmaneuvered on that front. Um, I think that's an easy – I think that was easy, low-hanging fruit, but of course, I think all the teams involved in that recruitment checked the right boxes, but I think O'Shawn Mathis just wanted to be a plain defensive end and not a jack in Pete Kwiatkowski's system. So I think it's easy for a lot of people, oh, they got outbid NIL. Ah, look at the team from Nebraska getting the Austin kid, and I think NIL was involved. I don't think it was a differentiator in it. Yeah, you might be right. I just I, I feel like everyone has a price. And look, it's like, but, I, so I, then that would mean that Texas wouldn't pay the price at a position of greatest need on defense, which would be very concerning. Like, I, I don't know if they did, like, it doesn't make sense, right? They, they need help at edge. And that was the best guy out there. And he's got the local ties and the Gary Patterson thing. So I don't think they like bid nothing for this, but I, I, I don't know, man. Like that's just, that's where I am. And that's desperation for sure. I probably sound pathetic right now. Like, it's like I'm calling the girl for the sixth time at 2 a.m. And she keeps telling me no, but I'm like, I keep calling back because I need something. I need something right now. That's just, that's where I am with this football team. I'm so desperate to see them turn things around that if I think there's a chance they can do something to turn it around and they don't, I'm going to be frustrated. And I, I don't think I'm alone with that. Well, I hope you're excited to see a, a true Big 12 team this year where they're trying to score, 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 and score. 
Yeah. Uh, and, you know, maybe they'll play a little bit of defense during the meantime with the guys that roll out there. So uh, anything else on, on Addison specifically, or you want to get into a little bit of high school recruiting? Uh, let's get to recruiting. Uh, there's only one big recruit to talk about right now, uh, Arch Manning. Um, of course, there's a lot of different guys coming into Texas uh, over the course of June and, and even July uh, for summer official visits. Um, they're after two of the top running backs in the country. Top wide receivers in this state are still giving Texas a lot of positive feedback. But the, the guy who kind of makes Texas dreams of a top class work in 2023 is, is Arch Manning, uh, son of Cooper, nephew of Peyton and Eli, grandson of Archie Manning. Uh, he's pretty quiet about his recruitment. He's not out there posting a, different, a bunch of different stuff. Uh, his Twitter's private, his Instagram's private, uh, but he's a Manning. Uh, everybody says he's the, the next guy in, in America's foremost football family. So there's going to be a lot of intrigue with his, with his recruitment. And so um, basically somebody from on three, Sam Spiegelman went out to uh, Isidore Newman in New Orleans recently. A uh, bunch of different coaches were there uh, and, and caught up with, with Arch about his recruitment. And there were five schools that he mentioned, uh, Texas, Alabama, Georgia, LSU, and Florida. Everybody, the conventional wisdom was kind of that it was going to be Alabama, Georgia, and Texas. Um, LSU and Florida are a little bit surprised to hear that mention. Um, but I think still, e even though those are two were late additions, it's those first three. It's Alabama, Texas, and Georgia that are most in or more likely with with Arch Manning. So I guess, I mean, I think honestly, this 2023 class, a lot of it hinges on whether man, where Manning commits and if it's to Texas and it opens up the door for a lot of different guys, uh, both in state and nationally. But if he doesn't, then it's going to be, have to be a strong pivot uh, for Steve Sarkeesian, who's been basically putting all his eggs in this Arch Manning basket or the course of the past few months. Joe, is Arch Manning the most talked about high school athlete since LeBron James? Like, is there anybody so, okay. that's like on this level of like high school recruit? So, I mean, I'm just trying to think Zion. Okay. Uh, who else? I don't even know if Quinn was and Quinn cut a year off of his high school career. Yeah, so it, I could, it could have been Quinn if he stayed it, in high school for another year. But yeah, I'm, I'm just trying to think of basketball. Yeah. It, it maybe Zion. Um, it's kind of about it. I'm so you, yeah, yeah, it, 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 it is basically nuts. is since LeBron James. I mean, maybe what Bryce Harper. I mean, we'll see if Arch Manning ends up on the cover of Sports Illustrated. But huh. uh, that that kind of is the that's where it is. <laughs> I mean. Yeah, I mean, he may guy, be the most talked about high school athlete uh, since since LeBron or since Zion. This guy's a high, this guy's a household name for like every sports fan, and he is still in high school. It's amazing, uh, but that's how big of a deal he is, right? I mean, the number one recruit in the country, obviously, in the first family of football, as you mentioned, being a Manning, uh, everybody wants this guy, and with damn good reason. So uh, we'll see what happens. I mean, Arch Manning had some interesting comments. Over the weekend, talking about Georgia, saying Athens was probably the best college town he's ever been to. 
didn't love hearing that. Now, that's obviously not a commitment. It doesn't mean he's going to end up going to Georgia, but that's pretty high praise for the city of Athens. And that's, I assume, a part of the decision uh, that uh, Arch Manning is going to make, whether or not he likes the town where the college is. So I found that interesting. But look, my question is, Joe, and I think we've talked about this before, but like what what's best case scenario for Texas in 2022 to land the commitment from Arch Manning in 2023? Like that it happens before the season starts. Right. Yeah. Maybe it's that, you know, but like, what if, what if Quinn Ewers goes out there? Like we don't know what Arch Manning wants. Like does Arch Manning want to be a starter from day one when he gets to college or is he comfortable maybe waiting a year, like red shirting a year, maybe sitting behind a guy for another year and then being the guy, like, what does he want? So it's like, there's a part of me that's like, and, and I think more than likely Texas needs to take a step. Like if Texas is going five and seven this year, I don't care if Arch Manning does commit to Texas. He's probably going to decommit and go somewhere else because he's going to be like, I don't want to be a part of that, dude. Like Sark's selling me that he could turn this team around, that his offense is going to be what turns Texas around. And if they go five and seven, two years in a row, like I don't want to be a part of that. But on the other hand, it's like, man, Quinn Ewers clearly wasn't that good. If this team was five and seven, I could go there and start right away. Or if I go to Bama or Georgia, those guys recruit incredibly well. I might have to sit behind somebody for a year or two so it's like what is the best case scenario for texas and if like quinn ewers balls out well like we know he'll be back next year then it's like arch manning would have to sit his freshman year behind quinn ewers if ewers lives up to the hype that he had when he was a recruit so like i'm wording this terribly but like what's the best case scenario for texas on the field this year to uh to land arch manning starting next year so i i guess the best case scenario would be for Texas is that Arch commits to Texas before the season and, and the offense does enough to keep his commitment until early signing day. Um, if he stretches it out and, and doesn't commit during the summer and, and keeps it going, which he admitted is a possibility. He, he basically said like, I don't really have a timeline, at least in his own words. He said, I can do it before the season or during the season or after the season, which really narrows it down. Uh, so I guess if you, if he does go through the season, then you just hope that the Texas offense plays at an extremely high level. The defense catches up as much as it can, and Texas wins most games, maybe save for that Alabama game and one other one. I, I mean, you, you, if it stretches into the season, then you got to have a great season. Yeah. Uh, and I think there's a lot of there's a lot more reasons than just Arch Manning uh, than to have a, a great season, but. You just you just have to win, and you have to win with with good offense, and show that you know you can take someone who's got the talent like Quinn Ewers does, and put them in a good position in your offense to have a lot of success. But I think ideal scenario for Sarkeesian is get them committed to Texas before the season starts. Yeah, uh, that would be great. But shoot, wasn't Quinn Ewers once committed to Texas before the season started, and then he decommitted and flipped to Ohio State? Like, I, I just I, I'm not going to feel good until pin goes to paper, I guess, is the point there. Uh, but you're right. I mean, that's that's obviously best case scenario for Arch Manning to expedite this thing and commit to Texas before the season starts. And hopefully Texas can do enough this year to uh, to keep that commitment until National Signing Day in December. But my goodness, that's it's going to be a stressful couple of months for a number of different reasons. If uh, if that's what happens. Yeah, what are we just over 100 days away before we get to go through it all? So, yeah. um, that's kind of about it. I mean, like I said, a lot, a lot hinges on art, not everything hinges on Arch Manning. There's a few other prospects who, uh, will make 
decisions influence, but not uh, just completely pending what Arch does. So, uh, but yeah, a lot of the fortunes of the Texas class depends on him. Yeah, um, uh, that's well said too. I mean, I, I know you talk about this and you wrote about this on Inside Texas, but like Arch Manning is the best recruiter in the world if Texas gets a commitment from him, right? Like that's generally how it goes. We've seen it at Texas. Like when Chris Sims committed to Texas, when Vince Young committed to Texas, when you get that top-ranked quarterback in the class committed to your school, guys want to play with that guy, right? Like receivers want to catch passes from him. Offensive linemen want to block for him. Defensive players don't want to have to go against him on Saturdays. So it's just that that chain reaction, that domino effect, which would make it even better to get that early commitment from Arch Manning. You'll take it whenever it happens. Like he's, he's that good. He's that kind of recruit. But if you can get it early, then, yeah, like you said, that, that could be huge for this entire class. And then just imagine if no matter who he commits to, but imagine the boost, whatever school he does choose, you have Peyton and Eli, you know, let's say they see Marquise Goodwin take a handoff or something like that and goes, Oh, he's a former horn. You know who else is going to Texas? Or, you know, he sees what Sony Michelle take a handoff. Oh, he's a bulldog. You know, hopefully, you know, that type of thing on the Manning cast on Monday night football, like, you, there's a lot of secondary effects you get uh, that would boost, kind of like you were mentioning with with Chris Sims from way back in the day, and even Vince Young. So, yeah, it's uh, it's paramount for for Steve Sarkeesian, AJ Milwee to to get this done. So, hey, Milwee got a raise, so do something with that raise, Milwee. We, exactly. we didn't we didn't see a lot from you uh, with your coaching on the field last year, so make yourself useful, guy. What about uh, Texas? Other they're still looking for. I think one more, maybe even two, but most likely one more guy uh, in the transfer portal um, aside from Addison. And it's got to likely be on defense. And they there's a need at edge. There's a need at linebacker. There's a need at safety. I, I would think that they're they're pretty good on – they don't need to take a, another transfer at corner considering they already got Ryan Watts. Um, so safety, linebacker, or edge. If you had to, you have to choose one, where do you take them from? <laughs> Man, it's almost like uh, you're a bad team in the NFL draft. You're just going best available. Uh, mm-hmm. Who's the best player left on the defensive side of the ball? That's the guy that I want. I mean, I'd probably go edge if I was forced to pick a position. I mean, all three of those spots are positions of need. There's no doubt. But I'd probably go with edge since you didn't get O'Shawn Mathis and you just you you were really bad there last year. So that would be my number one preference, but man, if there's, if there's an impact safety or an impact linebacker that are still out there, then go for it. Cause I think those guys would have the opportunity to play right away for this Texas defense. So that's uh, I guess I'd go edge, but man, it's really best available for me. So the one thing I always mention on the portal is it's like, well, why didn't they go get this from the portal? Well, they have to jump in there first. O'Shawn Mathis did. They pursued, didn't get it. And that's, that's, I'm not, and then going back to what we talked about earlier, saying it was a a scheme thing or an NIL thing. That's not to excuse it either. It's still a straight miss. There's it's an explanation behind the miss, but it is still a miss nonetheless. Um, But now you're kind of looking in the portal and it's like, okay, who, what are the options? They looked at that Florida A&M defensive player of the year. He elected to go back to Florida A&M. Uh, there was a guy, I think, from Albany, uh, a Great Dane, and I think he ended up at Florida State. And I, I think they tried to pursue. I, I, I talked with him at one point, and 
think he said he was going to um he was in contact with texas but i guess he said ended up staying a little bit closer to home but you know we can talk about oh we want this safety oh we want this linebacker oh we want this defensive end they've got to be in there and yeah. right now i i think after that may 1st deadline you're maybe waiting in the summer or you know waiting to see what pops up but i don't know who's in there right now and that's that that doesn't bode well for Texas's chances to add another at that spot. Yeah, I was going to ask you, man, because you you keep up with the portal more than I do. Is there any realistic candidate out there? And look, it like Texas is not the only school that wants big time players in the portal, right? Like, there's only so many impact players that enter the portal every year, and there's a, a dozens of schools that is what that want that that wants those guys. So like, you can't be too critical of every person that Texas misses out on. Cause there's a couple of dozen other schools that miss out on him too. But is there anybody still in the portal that would make sense that could come in and, and compete for a starting job right away? Or is it just uh, slim pickings at this point? So on three has a best available transfer portal spot. And uh, I clicked on edge and uh, there are not any players in the transfer portal for this selection. Great. So uh, I'll go ahead and check linebacker. That's not Same what I thing. That's Safety. not what I wanted to hear. Um, there's someone from Coastal Carolina, and who knows why he entered the portal. Get him. So, I mean, it, it, yeah. you're kind of just – you had hoped that somebody had jumped in, I, but – I don't know if it's there. Yeah, uh, this might be what this team is right now. Look, uh, you feel pretty good about the offense, uh, especially if Quinn Ewers can make the impact that people want him to make. Um, but, man, I, I just have so many questions about this defense. And you brought it up earlier, right? Texas might have to outscore everybody. Uh, if they get Jordan Addison, even if they don't get Jordan Addison, they might just have to outscore teams because it, it's like – part of me is like there's no way this defense can be, can be as bad as it was last year. but when I look at the personnel, it's like they haven't done anything to make me feel like they're going to be significantly better than what they were last year. So it's not unfathomable to think that this group could be pretty bad again in 2022. So it's, it's, uh, it's probably going to come down to some shootouts and whether or not Sark's offense can, can figure things out and be more consistent this year than they were in year one. Yeah. I guess the only thing is that they may not, you know, I, I kind of put this in a piece I wrote about defensive tackle, I probably at a certain point in the year after Jacoby Jones went down, after they realized that maybe Ben Davis and maybe uh, Rashad Ray Thornton weren't the players they they hoped, it would have been better for them to go to a three down front because they have that defensive tackle talent. That's a tough transition to make mid year. It's not a tough one to make over the course of spring practices. We've had Moro Jomo basically reveal that they're doing a lot of three down stuff. Their best depth is that defensive tackle. We may see that. And so maybe we'll see a better defense as a result of that. Now, is that Pete Kwiatkowski's preferred way? Probably not, but at least it shows a little bit of adaptation, but maybe their arms being twisted into it. And that, that, uh, you know, there's a, there's a preferred way and it's, they're not doing their preferred way, but they're making the best of it. So we're just going to have to see how that ends up going. And uh, who knows? Yeah, coaches have to be problem solvers, right? They got to work with what they have. This is such a Texas question, and I hate that I'm going to ask it because it's so stereotypical to even bring this up. Uh, is PK on the hot seat, Joe? Like, the, the... I think after you give up statistically the worst defense in school history, 
and a lot of the, you know, there are so many problems that happened last year between offense and defense. But when you look at statistically, you know, just the worst defense at school history and just basic problems from time. Yeah, it, I would think so. Unfortunately, that kind of means Texas is still in this whole, you know, system of like, all right, one, two, good, bad, trip, fire, new system. And I think that's a small reason behind some of the uh, issues last year is that you go from Todd Orlando to Chris Ash to PK in the span of three years. Uh, you, you have so many different players, so many, and you just don't have the right players. But at the same time, there are so many different things that we saw last year where it's like, okay, this isn't player, this isn't talent, this is a coordination thing. And so, you know, you would hope that maybe an extra year in this system and with this defensive staff kind of helps reset some of the, you know, just uh, volatility uh, that has plagued this. And you also look at some of the good Washington defenses that he had, uh, but at the same time, the results on the field are results on the field and they need to be better or else, you know, it, it may not be, it may not be good for Pete Kwiatkowski's future in Austin. Yeah, it's a bad cycle that Texas is in the midst of, right? We saw it with Charlie. We saw it with Tom. It's like ah, a couple bad years for a coordinator. You get rid of the coordinator, hope it turns things around, and if it doesn't, you're gone. So I, uh, I'm hoping we're not there. I'm hoping we're not uh, on that downward path again this season with Sark. Yeah, I guess maybe – and I admit this is pretty optimistic, but, like, if you look at – what I've always said is that I think Texas fans believe that they had after firing after Texas fired Charlie strong after three seasons uh, for on-field performance. And after firing Tom Herman for after four seasons for a combination, but would also with a coordinator and coaching staff reset, seems like there's a sense among Texas fans that you can get rid of them at the first sign of trouble. And some of that's true when it's dire situations like Charlie Strong was. There was no reason. Like once Baron Browning, who loved Charlie Strong, goes ahead and says, no, I'm not even including my top five. Okay. It, it's when you lose to Kansas yeah. and at that point in your tenure, um, anytime almost, but at that point in your tenure, you know, it makes it obvious. Um, that 2020 season with Tom Herman, objectively, it was not a bad season. It wasn't what anybody wanted. Uh, objectively, it was not a bad season and included another bowl win. But he had upset the wrong people. And between not having the amount of results they wanted and upsetting the wrong people, that was enough for them to, to make a move. You can't always think at the first sign of trouble, got to go because you're just going to stay in this cycle over and over and over again. Now, that's not to say that four years is a, short amount of time it, it somewhat is but like going three four like at, at some point texas has to figure out how to get out of this cycle and again that's also on steve sarkeesian like he's got to do some things that he's never done in his career it's why he's got that seven win steve nickname uh but it, you know at a certain point you have to look for the right stability not stability for stability stake but stability with the right guy and Hopefully Texas, as they seem to be doing, is invested in making that Steve Sarkeesian. That's well said. The right kind of stability. Don't just have it for stability's sake, but uh, make sure you have the right guy and stick with him. Hopefully Texas does, but uh, jury's still out, Yeah, I think, for most. Absolutely.
All right, man. Anything else you want to hit? I think we hit it all. I'm ready for the draft lottery. Hopefully, uh, Jabari yeah. Smith. Jabari Smith. That's what I want. Considering he's you number have one a, on the Joe Cook big board. He is. Considering you've got playoff series to concern yourself about, <laughs> I'll just talk about the lottery and hope that Jabari Smith ends up a rocket. Yeah, we'll see what happens tonight. Final four in the NBA. We might talk about that moving forward. We'll, we'll talk Texas basketball in future podcasts. We'll talk some Texas baseball in future podcasts as we start to uh, turn the page towards the postseason for David Pierce and company, but uh, plenty of Texas football today. If you're looking for any Texas Longhorn coverage, you got to go to InsideTexas.com. Joe and the entire team over at IT do a phenomenal job covering all things Texas sports. Make sure you follow Joe on Twitter at JosephCook89 and uh, subscribe over there at Inside Texas if you haven't done so already. You can follow me on Twitter at Brad Kellner. Listen to The Wheelhouse on ESPN Houston every weekday from 3 to 7 p.m., can listen online at ESPN975.com if you are outside the listening area. Appreciate y'all listening. Really do appreciate the continued love and support of the One and O podcast. Until next time, he's Joe Cook. I am BK Brad Kellner. Y'all stay safe. Y'all stay healthy. And hook them.